0: This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: When it's 67 degrees and the sun is out in January, you better enjoy it because odds are it won't last all that long. That's how weather in Mississippi works. Good to have you on this Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at Supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borke in our Jackson studio. Hate ad posted up in Starkville. Rippy's in the studio with me here in Oxford. Got the whole game for the entire three hours this afternoon. We're glad to have you along for the ride. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank Online. MSLandBank.com. Guy's going to give you a, a quick assignment. You can think about it while I continue to talk about Mississippi Land Bank. One sentence to sum up last night's national championship game. If you're in North Mississippi and you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank is for you, because that's what they've been doing for a little over 100 years. Financing land and financing everything that goes with land. Equipment, crop loans, refinancing existing loans, whatever the needs are that you have, Mississippi Land Bank can help. You can find a branch location near you, or you can just grab the phone number off the website, give them a call, talk to them about what it is that you need. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Borky, you are up first. One sentence
2: to describe last night's national championship game. There's a new sheriff in town. Oh, hot like take. Like hot that.
3: take. Rippy, your turn. Nick Saban was
1: rattled. Uh, okay, that's less good than new sheriff in town, but I will accept your uh, your entry. Hey, Dad? I did not see that coming. Yeah, I think a lot of people would agree with that uh, probably as well. New sheriff in town is what Borky says. Was last
2: night a changing of the guard in college football? It's hard to say change, right? Because Alabama just signed maybe their best recruiting class ever and Nick Saban is still the head coach. So if and I saw this last night from one of the writers from The Athletic. An anonymous, of course, an anonymous coach texted her and said, Uh, This is the beginning of the end, and we've seen that before. It's not the beginning of the end,
1: (laughs) Morky. I saw. I think it was Nicole Auerbach that received that text from a uh, from a defensive coordinator at a Power Five school. Somebody saw that and said, "This text comes from a guy sitting on
2: his couch watching this game." Yeah, exactly. Seemed like reasonable context. <laughs> it's not the beginning of the end because Nick Saban's still the head coach and Alabama still is going to recruit at an, an almost impossibly high level. But I think it's clear now with how they've played over the last three years and how what they're doing in recruiting and how the program has elevated financially, the fan base is really committed to Clemson. Clemson's now 1B. There's 1A and 1B in college football.
0: Hey, Dad. We can all agree that winning is hard, right? It's it's incredibly difficult, especially when you're talking about winning over the long haul. Anybody can get can look, get lucky and you know luck into ten games or something. To win at the the rate Nick Saban has, the, that that's on him. It, 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 he's doing it. And it, yes, it is incredibly hard. The, there are the, the the few Alabama fans, the, the
1: the crazy few. And okay, jokes aside. The, the, the few that are so far out there and are so out of touch re- with reality that he immediately go to whatever their face, uh, favorite social media channel is and drop the fire. Nick Saban, this team was unprepared. They were out coached, blah, 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 blah. I would submit as exhibit A, the last four years, 14 and one, 14 and one, 14 and one, 14 and one, two national championships.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That, that's not the record of a guy who is out of touch or who is in the habit of getting out-coached. Alabama got beat by a better football team last night. Period. So, this begs the question, and I'm not trying to be hyperbolic when I ask this question, okay? Please, this is not just stirring the pot. Does Clemson, 2018 Clemson, that won the 2019 National Championship game, deserve to be in the conversation of the best college football team ever. Here's the reason I asked the question. They go 15 and 0. They are the first college football team to win 15 games in a season. Well, I'll give you those numbers. It's been a long, long time, long time since that's happened, since the sixties. And there's only one team that has won 16 games in a year and that happened in the 1800s. So they go 15 and 0. And here's really the reason I asked the question. We spent a lot of time throughout the course of the college football season talking about the fact that this Alabama team arguably was one of the best college football teams ever, maybe a top-five team. There were folks that said it is the best college football team ever without seeing the entire body of work. And it was the combination of their offensive dominance, with Tua Tonga-Valoa as the quarterback, And the defense, which was not one of Alabama's best defenses, but was giving up 13 points a game in this era of college football, which is pretty darn good. And so if another team one-ups the team that you thought was maybe one of the best in the history of the college football game, if they beat them, and they do so with numbers that are more dominant, are they part of that conversation? Are they now one of the best teams to
0: ever take the field in college football, you know, it feels like it should be right. It feels like it should just be a, the 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 logical next step. But when you look at Clemson's season, I mean, the way they struggled with a uh, with uh, Syracuse, you know, when Trevor Lawrence went out, I, they just weren't as dominant from start to finish. And that's what that's what what had us talking about Alabama. Is the fact that they were just blowing everybody out. Um, so I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm sort of copping out by saying no. But no, I don't. I don't consider them one of the greatest teams of all time. But they are really, really good. And next year, they have a great chance to to do it again. You you, you say they didn't do it in
1: quite as dominant fashion. You got to remember that Trevor Lawrence wasn't the starter for the first four yeah. games of the season, and he got Very knocked right. out of the first game that he started against Syracuse. And the uh, Bryce Bryce, it's not Bryce Ch- Ramsey, Austin Chase, Bryce. Bryce. Chase, Chase Bryce. Bryce, Chase Bryce, close. Yeah, comes in. It was ultimately Etn that that kind of won that game for them on that long drive, but they beat Syracuse, so it was a good team.
2: In the 10 games since then, they've beaten everybody they've played by more than 20 points. Yeah. That's pretty dominant. And you're going to be able to look back on that team like you do 2001 Miami and all of the NFL talent, you just don't know it yet, is is all over that team, just like a 1 Miami.
0: Well, you're right. You're right about
1: that. When you go back and look at that Miami roster from one your mouth drops, especially if you haven't looked at it in a while and you realize how many guys on that team went on to have outstanding NFL careers. Yeah, it feels like that's where we're headed with this team. It's going to be two more years before Trevor Lawrence is even eligible to be drafted. And Justin Ross,
2: who was an absolute freak all season, but last night made the game look like a circus. As did T. Higgins. I mean, the T. Higgins touchdown catch where he went high and that throw over Mac
1: Wilson to drop it in. What What's the one thing, Rippy, from the game last night that stood out to you more than anything else?
3: Probably Lawrence and the fact that... Because, remember, they got off not a bad start, but he looked pretty shaky. on Like, they had the quick three and out, and then on the next drive he sailed a 6-4 receiver on a screen pass, which... Tough to do, but my point being, after that, he never looked like he never got rattled or looked uncomfortable against a pretty good defensive line, and I, I, I don't know, it just, he looked in control the entire time, no matter the the way the game was going, and it's easy to do that in the second half, but particularly when you know Clemson's defense couldn't stop Alabama early on, he was matching them with scores, and I don't know, I just thought as a true freshman that was pretty impressive.
1: I, I hate going to dinner and ordering the same thing that somebody else has already ordered, but sometimes. You just see something on the menu that you got to order because it looks that good? So I'm right there with you. I'll give you some numbers on Trevor Lawrence. Two of seven to start the game for 70 yards. No touchdowns, no picks. That was in the first quarter. In the second quarter, he went 10 of 14 for 127 yards and a touchdown. And after the first quarter, he finished the game 18 of 25 for 277 yards and three touchdowns. Perhaps the most compelling stat that I can give you for Trevor Lawrence from last night. On third down, he was eight of eleven for 240 yards. That's an average of 30 yards per completion on third down. That's
2: remarkable. His demeanor—I I cannot believe he's a
0: 19-year-old. I know he—he—he he, he, <laughs> he is the easiest lock to be a number one overall pick I've ever seen. There, there is no question, in 2020, barring injury, he will be the number one pick. But that said, Richard, to me, you know what stood out? It's not, it's not Trevor Lawrence, although he was great. It was Clemson's defense stopping Alabama. I thought they were just going to go back and forth all night, and then Clemson just turned off the faucet, and Alabama couldn't do anything. They went to a sideline shot
1: of Venables, the defensive coordinator for Clemson, and he looked like his face was about to explode. And I thought, man, calm down. Uh, You just got to figure out how to get a stop or two. And if your offense continues to score, you'll be okay. But this game's going to be in the 40s, man. Don't have a heart attack on the sideline. And doggone if they didn't give up another point after that little, maybe they gave up the field goal after that explosion on the sideline. But aside from that, that defense was unbelievably locked in. News and notes from last night's national championship game when we continue in the Renaissance Bank studio Renaissance Bank understanding you. What'd you boys think of the crowd last night at Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara? There was a lot made going into this about whether or not it was going to be full, the fact that it was going to be in the Bay Area, nobody cared. thought it looked pretty darn good on television. A
2: lot of people took advantage of the cheaper seats. Poor Keith
1: (laughs) Irvin.
0: Nobody
2: showed up to his concert outside of the stadium, though.
0: They really did make it look like there was going to be like forty thousand people there. I mean, the way they talked about it coming in, and then I mean, was the crowd? It wasn't obviously wasn't a sellout, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't some embarrassment to the sport that, that I was afraid it was going to be coming in. 74,814 the attendance,
1: second most attended bowl game, trailing only the Rose Bowl that had 91,853. So, you know, 75,000 people show up for the national championship game. Now, television numbers are down a little bit. We'll get to that coming up a little bit later this afternoon. Some uh, Some random nuggets for you from last night's game related to the college football playoff. The lower seed has won all five college football playoff championship games. Number one seed, now 0 3 in the five years that this event has been in play. The winning team has now been seeded fourth, second, second, fourth, and second. So obviously Clemson is the two seed wins last night. Clemson, I was off on my years a moment ago. First division one FBS team to go 15 and 0 since Penn. The Quakers did it in 1897. First team to win at least 15 games in a season since the University of Chicago did it in 1899. They had quite the year. And for those people that say you can't play more than 15 games in a season, the University of Chicago scoffs at you. They were 16-0-2 in 1899. Um, These kids today, they don't know what it was like. The uh, the average attendance was off a little bit last night, off by about 2,500. Average attendance over the five years of the college football playoff championship game, 77,642. Uh, and it was also the fastest of the five college football playoff games by nearly 10 minutes. Three hours, 27 minutes to play the game. That's uh, 10 minutes faster than the Ohio State-Oregon game took in year number one of the college football playoff. Um, Let's see here. Let me give you one other note. First time that the losing team was held under 20 points. The winner has now scored in the 40s three different times. There has been an average of 64.5 points per game scored during the five college football playoff national championships last night, a total of 60 points. And if you had the over, that was good, right? It was 59 and a half. Wasn't that the total last night?
0: I believe that's correct, yes. The
3: hook will get you every time. <laughs> you didn't think it would be a problem at all after the first, like, really five minutes of the game. You had three touchdowns yeah. in four and a half minutes, then things really mellowed out in the second half. I, I don't want to number you to death, but can I can I give you one more set of numbers that is,
1: I think, remarkable? We're talking about third down passing for Trevor Lawrence in the game. How about Clemson as a team? On third down last night, they were 10 of 15. It was something that Nick Saban kind of bemoaned in his postseason or his uh, postgame press conference. 10 of 15 on third down. And on those 10 third down conversions, Clemson gained 255 yards, an average of 25 and a half yards per third-down conversion in the game, including gains of 74, 62, 37, 26, 17, and 14. That's not just powering it across the line for a one-yard gain to move the sticks. (laughs) I mean, that's that's pulling out your driver and ripping it off the deck on third-down. It's incredible. Why were they able to do that, hey, Dad?
0: They have... (laughs) An elite quarterback. They had two receivers. You mentioned them, Higgins and, and Ross, who will play in the NFL. But most importantly, their offensive line was just dominant last night. Lawrence, more often than not, just had a clean pocket to work with. And when you give a guy with his talent, and when you give and Clemson's talent at the skill positions time to throw, they're going to find guys. You just can't cover for that long. The lack
1: of effectiveness by Alabama's defensive line is a little surprising. Quentin Very Williams, explains. as good as he's been, no sacks in the ball game for Alabama's entire defense. Not just the line. I mean, you didn't even have linebackers that got to Trevor Lawrence. And I don't know if that's simply a credit to the offensive line of Clemson. Well, they have four seniors on that offensive line. It's an impressive group. Borky, TV ratings are in your wheelhouse, and they were down last night.
2: Yeah, down pretty significantly. 13%, which isn't massive, but it's still a significant bump. It did a 14-6 last night, which is the worst since 2012, which did a 13-8. And if you remember, that was the Bama-LSU rematch, and back then the game was only on one channel. So across ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU, and ESPN News, they only did a 14.6 and down about
0: 13%. Is that a fatigue thing, do you think? Is that just, just part of the it fourth time we've seen has it?
2: to be the blowout? That, that is certainly a factor because those things are, are rated from beginning to end. But for the people that I saw today, like Stuart Mandel, just immediately dismissing the uh, fatigue factor, I think that's also off base. You don't drop 13% just because it's a blowout. We've had blowouts in championship games before. Ohio State and Oregon, for example, was a blowout. And it still did better than last night. Fatigue has to be a factor here.
1: Did you guys watch any of the alternate
0: broadcasts? No. Nope. I would have I if there I, was still one, I would during, normally though. watch the coaches thing, but since they didn't have it anymore. I did see Jason Witten not knowing the, the rules of college football on the first play of the game but other than that no i didn't watch
3: any of it why i mean not to be too harsh but why would you watch like i i watched the film room pieces of it in years past i think it's kind of cool but why would you watch that monday night football crew in a college game by choice i guess like what right. what what's the appeal to that and i'm genuinely asking i'm not being faci- like rhetorical like what is what is the appeal of, of flipping to that broadcast isn't if you the want only- joe
0: tessitore let him call the game Better college announcer than Chris Fowler, in my opinion. Hmm, I don't know if I agree with that. Okay. I think Fowler has gotten better and better and better, but that's just, I
1: mean, that's subjective. You you know. Potato right. potato, do you like, you know, steak fries or crinkle fries? Well, nobody likes steak fries if they have the choice of crinkle fries, right? <laughs> don't like don't it that
0: very quickly, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's, a, uh, it's a maybe a bad comparison. I would say and this is not to be overly critical of those guys, but maybe the one redeeming factor in that setup was Todd McShay being in there because of kind of the the analysis that he brings with regard to the draft and you know college players that are, are going to be making because because he's constantly evaluating college players and has been on the college sideline all season long. But I mean Tess and Witten and Booger, good grief. Booger gets up and leaves with five minutes to go in the game and they make a big joke out of it because he's going to catch a flight home. Seriously. I didn't see this. That, I didn't know that happened. I, I flipped around at the end because I was kind of bored with the game. I just wanted to catch a little bit and there's Booger. All right, guys, they've been making fun of, you know, what he eats and what he drinks and whatever. And he goes, guys, I've enjoyed it. I'm out. I got a p- plane to catch, gets up, grabs his stuff and walks out of the
0: room and there's five minutes left in the game. Well, the game was over at that point, I guess. I, I, can't, but, I can't hate too much, I mean, but still.
2: Wait, when you schedule to put a guy on television like that for the national championship game, don't you pre... I don't know. You would think. That, that just I mean, sounds... So, it's, it was a disaster from the inception, and that just proves that it was a clown show the entire time.
3: It's not like the game went abnormally long. It was the so shortest
2: like, one in the playoff era, Richard
1: just yeah, told so, us.
3: So I don't understand... <laughs> I mean, Was that the plan the whole time, for him just to get up whenever he needed to?
1: It's a deal, I guess, where they're on the West Coast. He's going to try and take a red-eye back to Florida, and if he doesn't hustle to the airport in, what, San Francisco or San Jose or wherever he's flying out of, maybe he's afraid he's going to miss his flight. (laughs) Seems like you would have booked a flight home the next day, considering that, oh, I don't know, the NFL season's over, the college season. What, what, What did he have to get home for?
3: He could have ripped the booger mobile to the airport and just kind of stayed in touch <laughs> through it, through some kind of broadcast. The <laughs>
1: <laughs> Might not uh, have been a bad idea. Hey, who's the best coach in college football?
0: It's still Nick Saban. It's still Nick Saban. That's but
2: a difficult question to answer but it's now, It's more
0: though. difficult today than it was yesterday, yes. I agree with that.
1: Six national championships for Nick Saban.
2: Two yeah. of
1: three for Dabo. Two of the last three. If you were if you were a five-star, could-go-anywhere guy, and Nick Saban was recruiting you, and Dabo Sweeney was recruiting you, who are you more interested in going to play
3: for? Clemson looks more fun. Yeah. It does Clemson look does like look they have more, have more fun. fun. I agree with that. And you still win.
0: And go
2: to the NFL. Hold on a second.
1: If the result of the game had been different last night, would have would Alabama have looked more fun? probably not, you know Nick Saban. Yeah, no. I don't think of Alabama and fun in
0: the same sentence.
1: Hey, we're going to switch gears. We got a whole lot more college football coverage coming up, but next from Columbia, South Carolina, we will be joined by Richard Williams, college basketball analyst for the Mississippi State Radio Network. We'll talk some hoops. Dogs and Gamecocks coming up tonight, the SEC opener for Mississippi State in the Renaissance Bank Studio. <laughs>
2: All guests on Sports Talk
1: Mississippi appear on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. An 8 o'clock central time tip-off. That means a late start. 9 o'clock in the east tonight in Columbia, South Carolina for number 14 Mississippi State at South Carolina. It is the SEC debut this year for the Bulldogs. And Richard Williams, who's the color analyst on the Mississippi State Radio Network, joins us right now. Coach! Happy Tuesday. How are you?
4: I'm wonderful. Sitting up here in a hotel room in Columbia, South Carolina, waiting for this late game to start.
1: It is a late one. Did did you make it in in time to sit down and soak up the uh, College Football National Championship last night?
4: We actually got into the airport, uh, got on the bus just as the game started, and the bus driver had it on. And so we watched part of the first quarter. We're about a 20-minute drive from uh, the airport to downtown. And then when we got here, uh, obviously we got to see the rest of the game, and uh, it was a little bit of a surprise to me. I, I thought Clemson would be able to win the game, but I had no idea they would dominate Alabama like that. I, I'm not sure anybody else had any idea they dominated like that, but it was a good game. I
1: enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah pretty impressive performance by Clemson. Mississippi State's been impressive this year, 12-1, and the only loss to Arizona State in Vegas back in, uh, in November. Uh, what's making this Mississippi State go, or this team go, in your mind?
4: I think offensively uh, this year, they're so good. Uh, they have so many guys that can shoot the basketball. And, uh, you know, Coach Allen's reputation, I think, was built on, you know, a tough, hard nosed, aggressive half court man to man defense. And uh, the defense this year has not been as good as in the past. He's not happy with uh, the way they're defending, especially defending the three point shot. Uh, but, Richard, they're, they're just shooting the cover off the basketball. I mean, for the season. The team shoots 48% and 38% of the three-point line. But now listen to this stat: Over the last five games, Mississippi State has made 11.8, almost 12 three-pointers a game. They have four guys shooting better than 50% in the three-point line and a fifth guy shooting 46%. So uh, they just have so many guys that can spot up and make shots. And the key to all of it, I think, is Lamar Peters. Uh, he's playing so much better this year than he has in the past. And, Uh, he's able to penetrate, he breaks down his defender, he gets inside the defense, whether it's man or zone. And in years past, where he would look for his shot or maybe take a bad shot or turn it over, this year he's jump-stopping, he's looking for teammates, he collapses the defense, he creates so many open shots for his teammates, and I think he's the key to the whole thing.
1: Coach, if, if you had cited those numbers five games into the year or maybe eight games into the season, You'd be tempted to wonder if that was fool's gold a, a little bit, but is the sample size big enough now? Thirteen games in, making the transition from non-conference to league play, that that's just kind of who this team is, and they are going to be a good 3 uh, point shooting team.
4: You know, I, I think so, and and uh, honestly, I, I've said most of the year that uh, you know not going to be able to keep that kind of shooting up, and. Uh, I'm anxious to see how we do beginning tonight against a very good defensive team, South Carolina. Not as good as they've been in the past, but still a very good, strong, aggressive, physical defensive team. Because once you get into league play, everybody has every film of every game you played. They've broken down every move every players made. So the defense gets a little tougher. Uh, there, there's more familiarity. Uh, the scouting reports are better. Uh, so I'm anxious to see uh, how, if, if the Bulldogs can continue to shoot it like that. I don't anticipate they're going to shoot 48% from the three-point line for the rest of the year. That's what they're shooting right now in the last five games, 48%. Uh, they're shooting 74% from the three-throw uh, line. So uh, I think they'll continue to be a really good perimeter shooting team. But can they continue to shoot it at 48% in league play? I don't know. I'd be a little skeptical about that.
1: We were talking yesterday kind of about a a comparison, and I think this is a a good one. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. The defense that Mississippi State will see tonight, I mean, it's kind of different in the way they go about it from what they saw against Cincinnati, but from, from an effort and an intensity standpoint, is that the best comparison from anything they've seen this year as to what they'll see tonight against South Carolina?
4: I think it is, and I think it also compares favorably a little bit with Arizona State. Uh, That Arizona State team was much more physical than what Mississippi State anticipated, I think, and what they prepared for. Uh, I don't think uh, that the coaches or the players, players for sure, maybe the coaches, they didn't anticipate Arizona State being as physical as they were and playing as fast as they played. This team tonight is going to be very physical. Uh, they don't have great shot blockers. You know, Silver's the leading shot blocker. He averages about two blocks a game. Uh, but other than that, they don't really block many shots. So once you get by them, uh, you can get easier shots at the basket. And the way they play defense, so they're out, denying every pass. They almost face guard players one pass away from the ball. It allows you to drive the ball. Now, they're not going to let you run your sets very much, but what it does allow you to do, because there are so many gaps, because they're pressuring so far out, it allows you to drive the ball against their defenders. And then there's not a shot blocker back there unless it's Silva. So, uh, you know, it's a little bit different defense than what they've seen so far. But I think your analogy with the physicalness and the effort that uh, they bring, it is very similar to Cincinnati.
0: Coach, Brian Haydad here. And, and you mentioned, you know, the ability to drive the lane and try to try to create your shots. That being said, do you expect a big game from Quindary Weatherspoon because he's the kind of player who can get to, get to the rim and create off the dribble?
4: There's no question about it, and that's what he prefers to do, although he's been shooting the perimeter shot so well lately. Even, and, Brian, you've watched a lot of the games. You know his game as well as anybody. If you are remember the last game, he made two mid-range jump shots. He's never had a mid-range jump shot in his game until this year. <laughs> I think it's made him a much more complete player and much more difficult to guard but he would much prefer driving the ball to the basket because he can finish against contact. He can finish with the left hand or the right hand. And so I think tonight he will have those driving opportunities. But now his brother Nick is a great driver and finisher. Lamar Peters is a great driver. So I think it's going to give the Bulldogs some opportunities to drive the ball to the basket when, uh, when South Carolina is out denying all those passes.
1: Does anything change about this game tonight? Richard, based on South Carolina getting that win against Florida on uh, on Saturday, kind of the way they won the game?
4: Well, I think it probably will get the players' attention. Uh, I know it got my attention. I, I honestly didn't anticipate South Carolina being able to win and beat Florida at Florida. But if you think about it, if you, and I know you guys keep up with it, of the five games, SEC games that were played over the weekend, three home teams lost. That's a little bit unusual. So, uh, you know, South Carolina going and beating Florida maybe not have been too much of an upset. And part of the problem South Carolina's had this year, that only made them six and seven. They've got some players injured. They, they've had a lot of guys miss games, uh, miss practices. Uh, 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 Coach Sarr, the 6'11 guy that's played about three or four years now, uh, he's been injured. He's only played 11 games. has only played five games. He might not play the rest of the year. Uh, they just had so many guys out. And, they have almost an entire squad back now, so it makes it tougher. So I think by their going in there, by virtue of that win at Florida, it certainly has the players' attention and maybe their attention span at the scouting report today at the uh, game day practice. Probably is a little bit better than it has been.
1: With regard to South Carolina, I know Chris Silva's at the top of the scouting report, but, but who's next? Is it Hassani Gravit? Is he the guy that's kind of got the ability to make some shots in, in an
0: area? He's the best
4: that... three-point shooter. He's 41% in the three-point line. Uh, shot it really well against Florida, shot it great against us in Starkville last year, but they have a freshman that's their leading scorer, actually. A.J. Uh, lost a six freshman, uh, who's averaging a little over 13 points a game. Uh, he's not a great shooter. He, he makes a little over 30% seven the three-point line. He's an average free-throw shooter, but he has a lot of ways to score. He's an athletic guy. He can drive it. He can make jump shots, and he's their leading scorer, but Silva's the guy you have to pay attention to. Uh, he, he's just so good around the basket. He's so physical. Uh, he's actually taken some three-point shots this year. Normally he doesn't do that, but he's taken some three-point shots this year. He gets to the free-throw line. Uh, he, 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 you know, he's always around the free-throw line. I think last year he might have set a record number of times he went to the free-throw line. So it's because he's so physical and he makes you fouling. You've got to keep him off the offensive glass. But as far as a perimeter shooter, Hosani uh, Gravit, whatever his name is, however you pronounce that, You know, he's a red shirt senior. I told my wife we watched that game one the other night. I said, it seems like he's been there for about 15 years. He's been there forever, but he can really shoot it. So you have to pay attention to him in the perimeter.
1: Yeah, Coach, really appreciate your time. Not to get ahead of ourselves as we kind of wrap up now, but uh, should have a fun one on Saturday in Starkville with uh, Ole Miss and Mississippi <laughs> State meeting as well.
4: Well, it, it, it should be a, an exciting game. Uh, there's a, there, there are a lot of subplots, as you know, through that game. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, and, and I'm sure I know we're going to have a great crowd. Uh, we got to get by this one tonight, and Ole Miss has got Auburn coming in tomorrow night. And I know that's a huge game for Auburn and Ole Miss. Uh, you know what would be neat if, if both teams win, and, and Ole Miss comes Ooh. out on a nine-game winning streak, and we're 13 and one. What what an atmosphere that should be, and how great is that
1: for college basketball in our state? I certainly agree with you on that point. Hey, always appreciate your time. Safe travels coming home, and look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, Richard. That is Richard Williams. He's fantastic. Can we talk just for a second about the fake field goal in the game last night that Alabama ran with Clemson's. Regular defense on the field. (laughs) So the line to gain for a first down is what, the 16? You're going to spot the ball from the 25 to kick it. 5, 10, oh, maybe it's farther back. Maybe it's at the 30 to to actually kick it. And your holder, your backup quarterback, who's slow, (laughs) is going to be the guy that runs up into the middle of that Clemson defense And convert a first down. Somebody creative on the internet paired up Nick Saban's post-game quote talking about the play call. Said, we thought we had a good fake. Somebody missed a block and blew up, didn't work, and so it's a bad call. Well, yeah, it's a bad call. Partly because Clemson had 10 of their 11 players inside the line to gain. (laughs) And... You're running with your backup quarterback right into the middle of one of the fastest defenses in all of college football. What is
2: he doing? That might be the first time I've ever watched a Nick Saban coach team and thought, in that moment, he had no idea what to do. At the point at which Mac Jones was tackled, there are
1: one, two, three, four, five six seven at least seven players including the guy that was tackling him seven yards behind the line to gain to pick up a first down so six additional players that would have or could have brought
0: him down before he picked up the first down it's so funny too because we had that fake punt in the sec championship game that everyone, oh my god that's the worst well who what are you thinking And, and then this happens it, 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 and from two coaches who you would never, ever expect to do that. No. Desperation does does crazy things, man.
1: I mean, if Les Miles calls that play, it probably works, yeah. one. <laughs> I'm going to say he's got a better-designed fake field goal than that one, though. Uh, anyway, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Are you a farmer in North Mississippi? Well, if you are, then I hope you're doing business already with Mississippi Land Bank. But if you're not, then it's time to give them a try. They've been financing land for over 100 years. They know the farming business inside and out, and they've got products that fit your needs. Whether it's buying a piece of property to enlarge the size of your current farm, whether it's equipment loans, refinancing an existing loan, crop loans that are just necessary to get by from year to year, Mississippi Land Bank's got you covered. They've got branch locations all across North Mississippi, The website is MSLandBank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. How good a coach is Dabo Sweeney? How how important do you guys think it is to exceed expectations, preseason expectations? Is that a reasonable way to measure the quality of a coach if he's able to consistently uh, exceed preseason
2: expectations? yeah unless the those preseason expectations are are low for whatever reason
0: it just depends on the expectations you know I mean I don't think any less of Nick Saban because I mean his expectations this year was national champion sure. uh, so I don't think any less of him but if you're a a coach that has a has it takes a team that's ranked 24th 25th and you finish fifth or sixth or even in the top 10 or anywhere above that. You're going to get some extra credit for that. Look, look at Ed Orgeron right this second. I mean, we're going to give him extra credit this year because he took a team that we all thought wasn't going to be very good, and they they won ten games. Now they have a very talented roster, and they they should be winning ten games, but they they did it, and so he's going to get some extra credit this year. Same with Dan Mullen, I think this year as well.
1: Dabo Sweeney set an NCAA record last night for the eighth consecutive year. Clemson under Dabo Sweeney will match or finish the year ranked higher. In the final AP poll, then they were ranked in the preseason poll. This goes back to 2011. 2011, not ranked going into the season, finished 22nd. 2012, ranked 14th going in, finished 11th. 2013, ranked 8th, finished 8th. 2014, ranked 16th, finished 15th. 2015, big jump. Preseason, ranked 12th, finished 2nd. Okay, now as the rankings get higher, the opportunity to exceed expectations get harder. Twenty sixteen, preseason number two, they win a national championship. Twenty seventeen, preseason number five, they finish fourth. Twenty eighteen, preseason number two, they win a national championship, and once again finish first. So in eight consecutive years, Clemson under Dabo Sweeney has finished higher. Or the same as what they were picked going into the season. That's remarkable consistency, one. And two, it shows you you got a lot of good stuff going. That's not possible if you're not recruiting at an elite level. And it's not possible if you're not a really good coach with a really good coaching staff. And one thing that we've not talked about that was, it's a storyline that's kind of picked up a lot last night. In the last three years, Alabama has lost 20 assistant coaches in the last three years Clemson has lost three that coaching
2: staff has been a model of consistency how has Brent Venables not been I mean maybe he has been offered I've seen him on short lists over the last couple of years but how has a major program not taken a flyer on him
0: he must just show up to the interview in like a cut off t-shirt and jorts just hey, he
2: can wear that on the sidelines and coach for me any day. He
3: fling makes profanity $2 million around. a year. He's probably waiting on
2: He the probably job. has a
3: number of jobs in mind. I say a number, a handful. And don't you think he's probably waiting on that because he can do that at this point? Because, I mean, yeah. making $2 million as a defensive coordinator is pretty solid work. What's well, that job, though? That well, I, I don't
1: know. I was just going to use yeah. as an example. I mean, Kirby Smart didn't jump. Immediately. He had opportunities to jump. He waited for the job. He took the job and it's paid off. Is it possible that Brent Venables is that rare guy that really likes what he's doing, is extremely well compensated for it, likes his boss, likes his lifestyle, his family's happy where he is, and he just goes, I don't have to be a head coach. I make two million dollars a year to coordinate defense and recruit. I'm
2: good. That would be as you mentioned, really rare because if you're in any kind of field that requires competition of any kind, don't you want to be the best? And the best would require you I don't there there's an element of never being satisfied with competitive people. And if if you're uber-competitive or have been around an uber-competitive person, they're never satisfied. And being the highest-level defensive coordinator, while awesome, is not satisfactory for 99% of the people in the profession because they want to be the head man and they want it to be their program.
3: There's probably a degree of that there, though, right? Like He probably enjoys how he's living, enjoys his lifestyle, and knows he's going to be a head coach somewhere one day. Probably not really rushing it, though. Or maybe he's competitive
1: within what he does, and he wants to be the absolute best at what he does, and he's not necessarily trying to do something different.
2: I think he's achieved that goal.
1: Well, he's he's certainly there. I mean, we, you want to talk about best defensive coordinators in the game? Who do you put in there? Brett Venables has
0: got to be on the list. Yeah, Dave Aranda. Um, Dave Aranda's got to be on the list. Bob Shoup is on the list. Todd Grantham is on the list. Um, who did Oklahoma just hire? Grinch. He's pretty good. He's still young, though. Well, and he was supposedly
1: the defensive coordinator in waiting at Ohio State yeah, under Urban yeah. Meyer. Doesn't Don get the Brown. gig under Ryan Day. And yeah. then you see Greg Schiano get fired as well. So Ryan Day just choosing to go a different route altogether with his defensive coordinator spot.
2: Yeah, he hired a couple of Michigan assistants in the
1: process.
2: (laughs) What, their 71-year-old defensive line coach is is now at Ohio State, and then their linebackers coach, I think, is at Ohio State.
1: With the entire college football bowl game season now in the books, I'll throw a couple of trivia questions at you guys. See if uh, – it's not trivia, just kind of facts. You know what running back – Fun facts. Do you know what running back rushed for more yards in a bowl game this year than anybody else? Anyone have a guess? Anyone? Anyone? No. It's from the SEC. Uh, uh the kid from I uh, can't think of his name. Vanderbilt. What's his name? Keyshawn Vaughn. Yeah. Thirteen carries for 243 yards and two touchdowns. Travion Williams, by the way, from AM, and M, had 19 carries for 236. Do you know who threw for the most yards in a bowl game? From the ACC. Duke quarterback Daniel Jones threw for 423 yards and five touchdowns. Second most, Joe Burrow from LSU, 394 yards and four touchdowns. Cole Kubelik joins us next on the Farm Bureau phone line. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at Super Talk. FM. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, and you. Glad to have you along this afternoon. We'll have plenty more conversation about last night's ball game between Alabama and Clemson. Clemson getting the win in the National Championship game. Some recruiting news to take a look at coming up a little bit later as well. Plus, a couple of updates on coaching searches from the NFL. Cliff Kingsbury How about how about his month and a half I guess I'm kind of spoiling the uh, the news here you've probably seen it by now fired at Texas Tech gets the offensive coordinator job at Southern Cal is told by Lynn Swan the athletics director that he cannot interview they won't let a sitting assistant coach interview for an NFL job power play by Cliff Kingsbury he says okay I quit. Interviews for the Arizona Cardinals jobs was a job was scheduled to interview with the Jets job as well. But I don't think that's going to be necessary because it looks like he's going to be the name uh, be named the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. You guys like this move? I don't no. know if we Okay. I don't, just... I don't get it. Let me ask a guy who follows college football closely. I don't know how close Cole Kubalik follows the NFL. Cole Kubelik, co-host of Three Man Front on WJOX in Birmingham, college football analyst with ESPN and the SEC Network. Can that work? Cliff Kingsbury going from fired at AM and m to offensive coordinator at Southern Cal to head coach in the NFL?
5: Oh, I, I guess it can. Uh, I, I think it's a different style of management. And I, I think from an organizational standpoint, he'll have more help. And it may it may help him more that professionals are responsible to the point that they're going to handle their own business. And really all he has to do now is just give his team systematic advantage to be able to go out and be successful. And, and if he can do that, then they're going to figure out a way to win games. So, yeah, I think it can. Um, I think it can work because he's not going to have to recruit. He's not going to have to manage 18- to 19-year-olds and make sure that they're paying attention and – Make sure that they're on the same page because these guys get paid to be on the same page. They get paid to absorb information and study their opponents and be ready to play. So, uh, because of that, I do think that his offensive prowess is, is something that can be successful based on where the league is going. So, um, there's a good chance it works. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm not going to say it's a home run hire, but I think yeah. there's a chance that it works out.
1: Well, for what it's worth, I know he has the reputation of kind of being pretty boy because he looks like Ryan Gosling. But I've talked to some football people that say. He is as big a film and game study and offensive game planning junkie as you'll find anywhere in the college game anyway. So uh, we'll see. That's kind of how everybody lives in the NFL. Cole Kubelik, um, you, you studied the line of scrimmage and analyzed the line of scrimmage as much probably as anybody in, uh, in this profession. Is there anything that you saw going into the game last night with with the line of scrimmage battles that you were going to see between Clemson and Alabama that led you to believe we could have an outcome anywhere close to what we ended up with?
5: Uh, I mean, I, did, I didn't expect what we saw last night. Uh, I'll be the first one to admit I was wrong. I thought Alabama's defensive line would handle the Clemson offensive line, and I thought they'd make them look bad. Um, that Clemson offensive line has been sort of up and down throughout the course of this season and hadn't been a group that played great football consistently, but you look at them in the fourth quarter against Syracuse, they were phenomenal. Um, Even in the Notre Dame game, they were losing one-on-ones and not really playing consistent football together. So I didn't expect that to happen. I expected Quinton Williams and Raekwon Davis and Isaiah Buggs to be able to cause problems consistently, and they didn't do it. So that part of it was a big surprise to me, and um, I thought Burton Venables had a great game playing defensively for Clemson. He didn't just rely on his foot four to go out and be disruptive. He put them in positions to be disruptive, and he made sure they got one-on-one, made sure they had chances to cause problems. So he deserves a lot of credit for the Clemson defensive success as well.
1: Cole, we were talking about Brent Venables just a little while ago, and we're kind of bouncing around the question of why it is that he's not a college football head coach at this point. Could it be that he's just one of those guys that's really happy where he is, or do you think there's more to it than that?
5: I think there's a lot of that that's accurate. I think that I think Brent Venables is a guy that understands he has a third of the responsibility, if not less, than a normal head coach. He's making over $2 million a year. And he's also working with a head coach that is flexible and understanding and goes out of his way to make life easy on his assistants. I mean, you're, you're talking about a guy in Gabbo Sweeney who sends his coaches home to go watch their daughter's recital or to go watch their son's Little League game. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a different place, and it's done a very different way. And because of that, I think the comfort level of potentially staying is probably a lot greater.
1: It's interesting, uh, interesting stuff. For, forever we've had the debate of when Nick Saban ultimately hangs it up, whenever that is, a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now that Dabo Sweeney is the guy that that mama calls and he comes home but given what he has built and is continuing to build at Clemson is that a decision that looks like it would make less and less sense as as we get closer to whenever that inevitable day is
5: I don't know when that's going to be and I don't know how inevitable any of it can be with him because I can't picture him doing anything else Um, I think he had agreed to do some television a couple of years ago, and I think he could be good at that, but I don't know if he's really passionate about it. I don't know if it's going to drive him, if it's going to move him and motivate him on a daily basis. So, um, I mean, we talk about these coaches sometimes, and you know, do their wives want them home after working 60-, 70-hour work weeks, and now they're going to be home (laughs) 24 hours a day? I think that's a real part of it. And Nick Saban, as competitive as he is, and as much as he enjoys the process and the grind, maybe more than any other coach, Can he just walk away from that? And and I think he'll know when it's time, and I don't think it's time yet, but I don't see him as someone who pushes it to the limit as far as making a school run him out and run him off. I don't think that's going to happen. He'll know. He has enough self-awareness to know when he's not effective anymore. That time hasn't come just yet, but I think he's got a good three, four years left in him.
0: Hey Colt's Brian, hey Dad. You know, there's nothing I like more than doing way, way too early predictions. Alabama's still going to be the, the top dog in the West next year. In the SEC West though, who do you see coming in second next year? Who, who's your who's your team that you think can challenge Alabama?
5: Oh, uh, I feel before last weekend I probably would have said Texas A and M, but when when you lose Jay Sternberger and you lose Travion Williams and you lose Derek McCoy, I don't really know now with the schedule that they play. I mean they close with with Georgia and LSU on the road, they've got a, they've got a monster schedule uh, going to Clemson as well. I'll probably say LSU right now. Um, I think Auburn has some things that could make them a player, but I'm not really confident in a lot of them. And um, I think Mississippi State loses so much on that defense that I don't know if they're going to be able to be the same. So by default, I would say LSU. I think Joe Burrow proved a lot in that bowl game. He's a gamer. He's tough. He understands how to do things to help his football team win games. They're going to lose a lot on their defense as well, but they've been recruiting on a similar level to Georgia and Alabama the past few seasons. So, uh, right now, I'd, I'd have to go LSU because they got their they got their guy back at quarterback. The majority of their offensive line returns, and still waiting to see about Devin White and Rashard Lawrence. If those two come back, then they're going to have a pretty good front seven still.
1: Cole Kubelik, excuse me, Cole Kubelik on your radio. Um, Co host of Three Man Front on Jocks in Birmingham, college football analyst, ESPN, SEC Network. Was the fake field goal the biggest desperation move you've seen Nick Saban try in his time in Alabama? Uh,
5: probably, yeah. Now, let, but let's think about it. I mean, how many? I didn't call it desperate, and some other people have referenced it in different ways. I mean, I, I thought they were pressing. And we don't see Alabama press very much. We don't see Alabama yeah. have to press very much. I mean, the, the other time that comes to mind is the on kick against Clemson a couple of years ago, and it worked to perfection. So they're not in that spot very often. And so I think any time we see them do it, we're going to say, you know, oh, did they panic? Oh, were they desperate? And we're probably immediately going to think, yes, just because we never see it. It's new for us. to see them in that situation is new and different. So um, I, 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 when because I call it – I went the, I went back but I go before that, Richard. I go to the fourth downs. You know, he's going forward on fourth down early in that game, some of the play calls yeah. early in that game, a shovel pass near the goal line, a two-a roll out with no option to pass. I think Nick Saban knew he was in trouble early on in that football game and he was trying to do anything he could to swing motivation.
1: Yeah, but but if you go back to that onside kick, that was creative and it was out of nowhere and nobody expected it. Clemson still had its defense on the field and it wasn't even no, didn't I mean, even and, seem and, like and it was yeah, a well designed play. No, your
5: kicker's operating as a lead blocker. It's not good. It's not good. So, <laughs>
1: sorry. And it's not like it's Sebastian Janikowski who's the kicker either.
5: No, and not even Janikowski could have helped you right there. Sorry.
1: No, no, you're right. It's fun college football season. Great work by you all year. Always appreciate your time visiting on the show and uh, enjoy maybe a little bit of downtime. I hope so. Thanks, man. All right. Cole Kubelik. It's a song where you know Dad is playing his air instruments.
3: I'm not sure you'd
0: be a good drummer. I think you would be a good drummer. I just don't know if you really would be. would not be a good drummer. Sports Talk Mississippi. I can't do it.
1: (laughs) Streaming at supertalk.fm. Good to have you along this uh, this afternoon. Obviously, college national championship in the rearview mirror. A couple of NFL notes. Peter Schrager from NFL Network confirmed earlier this afternoon what we thought we already knew, and that's Cliff Kingsbury. is getting an NFL job. Did he know more than... Did did Cliff Kingsbury actually take a flyer on himself? Or did he know more than... did, Did he make a really educated decision? Lynn Swan, the athletic director at Southern Cal, said you can't go interview for an NFL head coaching job, which, let's be honest, is kind of like the dumbest thing you can say out loud. It's like if Lynn Swan had said that out loud to himself and recorded it on his phone and then listened back to it, he would go, yeah, that's one of the dumber things I've ever said. Go ahead. Go interview for the jobs. But he didn't. And Kingsbury said, well, okay, I quit. I quit.
2: And just got a head coaching
1: job in the NFL.
2: Yeah, let's pretend he didn't get either one of those jobs. I have a feeling Clay Helton would have made sure that he still had a spot at Southern Cal.
1: They or would have amended that eventually. He would have quickly. had other
0: options. He would have had other options. And he's like, "I don't want to go back to Southern Cal," somebody else would have hired him.
1: In a heartbeat.
0: Yeah.
3: <sighs> With like the whole trend of Everyone in the NFL searching for you know a Matt Nagy or a Sean McVay doesn't this feel like the first one that's a reach? Yes. Did, did you see their press release? Yes. There's a friend segment of Sean in the Sean release. Yeah,
2: in the press release they they mention that he's friends with Sean McVay. That's how far it's gone. I'm going to put awesome. friend of Richard. Sean Cross McVay hasn't won a playoff game yet. Yes, obviously the Rams are very good and he's a very good coach. But let's wait till maybe he wins a playoff game before we start hiring marginal candidates just because they remind us of him.
0: I'm going to put had coffee with Bill Belichick on a resume. I was in Starbucks at the same time as him. So why, why are you guys so year. convinced
2: that this is a reach or that this is See, a bad hire? But I don't necessarily think it's a bad hire. I just, the, the premise behind we've got to hire and interview the young up-and-coming coordinator who probably isn't qualified thing. This trend going on in the NFL, I don't think, makes sense. He's coached a bunch of NFL quarterbacks. And his college coaching career, everybody's pointing to his record. It's hard to grasp how difficult it is to recruit to Lubbock, Texas. His talent was far inferior to every good team he had on his schedule. The NFL, while the Cardinals weren't very good, is not that way. One, you don't have to recruit. If you need a linebacker, you tell your GM to go sign you a linebacker. And two, talent is very comparable. He didn't have so comparable went, talent in college.
3: All right, I agree with that. But he went 16 and 40 against Power Five schools, not named Kansas. Look, two two things here. One, there's a
1: reason he got the job, and it's not because he's friends with Sean McVay. He got the job because he coached Patrick Mahomes in college, and he coached Baker Mayfield in college. Did you see what Patrick Mahomes did this year? Yeah. But still. And Josh Rosen is the young quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals that they like the idea of bringing in Cliff Kingsbury to coach him. That That's the reason he got the job. Number two, I, I heard Rick Neuheisel say earlier today, I thought this was an interesting way of looking at it, that there is a trickle-up effect going on in football right now. There's a long period of time where you had a trickle-down effect. If you've coached in the NFL and there's a college opening, you can get it if you want it. Well, if you think about the way football has evolved in the last decade, all these crazy high school offenses, where they were having success and lighting up scoreboards, made their way to college football. And with that, you had college coaches. I'm sorry, you had high school coaches that were getting college opportunities. Art Bryles at Baylor. Gus Malzahn. Uh, you know Scott Leffler or uh, not Scott Leffler. Um, Chip Lindsay offensive coordinator at Auburn that just got the where did he go?
0: Kansas Kansas yeah
1: Kansas yeah. to be the offensive coordinator. You got a bunch of high school guys the, the the coach at UAB Bill Clark he was a high school guy in Alabama not to, who, who have made their way up and have had success. So football's a copycat game. You're now lighting up college scoreboards, and you have players coming from college systems where they're lighting up scoreboards that are going to the NFL. So what do you do? You bring up the coaches who've coached those systems and coached those players into the NFL. He described it as trickle-up as opposed to trickle-down. I don't know if we'll have a book called Trickle-Up Economics coming out anytime soon or, or a, an economic theory coming out, but I thought that was an interesting
2: way of looking at it. Especially what, with this quarterback track record, you mentioned too. I mean, yeah. th- these are guys that played under him. One of them is a bit of a stretch because it was just for a year. But he coached Case Keenum, Manziel, Davis Webb, who's still in the NFL, Patrick Mahomes, and then Baker Mayfield for a year.
0: It's a good track record. It's not like and and it's not like that if it doesn't work out. I mean, we're from the NFL where they recycle coach. I mean, at least it, I guess you have to give Arizona some credit. For trying something new and not just finding, well, I know this guy couldn't coach anywhere else, you know, he's been a head coach twice before, but let's just bring Jack Del Rio in and see what happens. So I mean I guess we can give them some credit for that. Yeah. Um all right. Let me switch gears again.
1: I have a, a question that I would like to pose to you. Kyler Murray wins the Heisman Trophy. Alabama shreds Oklahoma in a college football playoff game. Everybody says, you got to wait till the end of the season to decide who the Heisman is. Wait till all the games are over. To a Tonga Valoa after the playoff, the semifinals would have been the Heisman trophy candidate. But then you had last night's game. And so if we actually waited until all the games were done to do postseason awards, Specifically, the Heisman Trophy. Who would have won the Heisman? Would Trevor Lawrence have won the Heisman?
0: Yes. No. 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 He had a great game at the best possible time, but no, he didn't have the best overall season compared to Tua or Kyler Murray. Yeah, but think about how voters vote. I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but man, that would be that would be a huge, huge mistake. I, I can't get behind that. So, so, you His don't think the MVP games. of the
1: national championship game should be the de facto Heisman Trophy winner? I don't, I don't think that. No, that's it's just kind something of kind of interesting is. to think
0: about, though. Oh, it's uh, it's an inter- and you you might be right that it would happen, but I, I don't, I don't think it should. So maybe maybe that's old man Haydad speaking again. I don't know, Borky, You
2: think it would have happened? I think so because, like you said, recency bias. They they will have watched what he did against Notre Dame and Alabama and. That's the best player in college football. That's how it would
3: have worked. Right, because doesn't Tua win it if he doesn't have the bad game against Georgia? Yeah. Possibly, yeah. He got got hurt against Georgia.
2: Yeah, if he he stays healthy, he wins the Heisman. If, If in that game
1: against Georgia, he plays the entire game and Alabama wins and he throws for 350 yards and three touchdowns. He wasn't great when he was in, though. No, he wasn't. But he got hurt on the second play of the game. And he was hurt for a few weeks leading up to that game, too. But he lost the Heisman Trophy in the SEC Championship game, coupled with what Kyler Murray did in the Big 12 Championship game and the way he finished the season. That's the reason that Kyler Murray won it. But there are a lot of people that looked at the game last night and go, wow, the best player on the field last night, was Trevor Lawrence. And if he's the best player in the national championship game, was he actually the best player in the country? There are a lot of people that would go with that logic. I think there are a lot of people that would have voted Trevor Lawrence number one on their Heisman Trophy ballot if those ballots were due today.
2: What's the argument against that happening? Because it's not going to go to a defensive tackle or anything. So the best player in college football, air quotes, who's a better quarterback... Or running back in college football than what you saw in the playoffs with Trevor Lawrence, because it's supposed to be for the season. I mean, he and was excellent. At, I mean, he threw for 400 yards at South Car- or against South Carolina.
0: Yeah, he had a great he had a great year, but he didn't have the kind of year that Murray and Tua had. But he had the best game at the best. He only played ten times, games, right?
2: But the playoffs right.
0: in this scenario
2: right. count as the year. And I, mean, I get that. I get that. I mean, shouldn't but the bigger games carry more weight with how you perform?
0: It's, it's boys, be the whole season.
2: The year was
1: pretty good. Sixty-five percent completion, three thousand two hundred and eighty yards, thirty touchdowns, and four interceptions. Heisman Trophy doesn't go to pretty
0: good. Or shouldn't anyway. That was in ten games. I mean, I get that. What what was to us when you when you Go by quarter and figure out how many games he actually played. Nine. I don't know. Yeah. But what did
2: he do in the most important game?
0: Then that's why he's not the MVP of that game. But for the season, it's different. Of course, Trevor
1: Lawrence only threw for 118 against Pittsburgh. (laughs) He only threw for 251 against Duke. He only threw for 59. Well, he he just didn't play much against Louisville. 8 of 12 for 59 (laughs) yards and two touchdowns